0: said, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. From the gospel according to Saint John, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I want to ask you a question. You don't have to answer it, at least not out loud, but I want to ask anyway. Why are you here? I mean, don't get me wrong. Christ Church is a wonderful place. I like to think it's one of the best places you could possibly find yourself on any given Sunday morning in Waco, Texas. But why are you here? Why are you here? Over the past few decades, sociologists and anthropologists and social psychologists and the like have shown there to be many benefits of participation in religious communities. Friendship, social solidarity, civic involvement, the meeting of various personal and social needs. All of these are no doubt important gifts the church offers in an age of increasing isolation and privatization. But the church is not a social club. It's not an association among other associations. And to be honest, if you're looking for friends or support or a playgroup for your kids there are other communities who can probably meet your needs better than we can. Community is inherent in the nature of church. I think it's non-negotiable, but it's not what makes the church unique. Maybe that's not why you're here, though. Maybe you really love the music. I, I do. Maybe you love to sing. You appreciate the tradition of hymn singing that we take so seriously at Christ Church. You cherish joining with other Christians in praise and worship to God. Or maybe it's the liturgy that keeps you coming back week after week. The mystery, the solemnity, the sacredness of the liturgy, the way it captures a kind of transcendence unknown to the rest of the world. All of these things, these goods of the church, are important. They're part of what makes the church such a compelling place to be. In fact, I would even say they are good reasons to go to church, good reasons to be here. But I don't think that any of these are why you are really here. Here's what I think. I think that you perceive, either in a vague way or maybe with clarity, that there is something the church has that you can't find anywhere else. Something at the center of the life of the church, something that generates her life and makes her unique, something that is that makes her more than just a civic body. Of a body politic, something that makes her the body of Christ. So what is it that the church has that you can't find anywhere else? The answer to this I think you might find somewhat surprising. It's bread. From the very beginning, the church, and St. John especially, has insisted that bread is what makes the church. Not just any bread, obviously. Living bread. The bread of life. The sacrament of Christ's body made available to us at every altar of the church in bread that gives life. This living bread gives life to the church and life to the world. And I really think, whether you're aware of it or not, that you're here because you are hungry and you're looking for bread. Now, if you remember our gospel reading from last week, you'll know that it also came from St. John's gospel from actually from chapter six, immediately prior to our reading this morning. There, Jesus said something quite outrageous. His audience had been questioning him, especially interrogating his claim that he had come from God. They asked for a sign. In the past, they say, God gave us the sign of manna. This was God's work in the wilderness, the sign that God had not abandoned Israel, but was leading them into freedom. So what's your sign, they say. And Jesus responds, the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Okay, the people reason, that sounds more or less right on. Actually, kind of what we just said about the manna thing. Um, But then Jesus gives the zinger, right? I am the bread of life. First of all, anytime you hear this declaration, I am, coming from the mouth of Jesus in St. John's Gospel, you really have to listen up, because Jesus' listeners certainly did. Those are dangerous words. I am. It's the name of God, given to Moses at Mount Horeb. And Jesus is very intent on using those words, I am am. The emphatic way Jesus puts it in John's gospel, I think, could be translated something like this. He says, I, I am, I am the bread of life. And then secondly, Jesus is saying that he is this bread which comes down from heaven. Just like God's gift of manna in the Old Testament, so now Jesus identifies his origin as coming from God. This is provocative stuff. It provokes a response from Jesus' listeners. And this is right where we pick up in our reading today in St. John's Gospel. They murmured at him, John says, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? What are you talking about? They respond. We know your parents. We know where you come from. What do you mean you came down from heaven? Now, it's not an entirely unreasonable response, I don't think. If someone is walking around saying things like, I am the bread which comes down from heaven. A normal retort might be something like, snap out of it. No, you're not. You're the guy from Nazareth. We know your parents. We watched you grow up. We know where you came from. And yet Jesus refuses to let this response from his listeners be the end of the story. He won't let them write him off. He wants to tell them more. He wants to show them where he's from and who he is. This is what's at stake in our reading from John's gospel this morning. Where did Jesus come from? Who is he? And why is he here? Is this simply a man, the son of Joseph, the guy whose parents we know, the carpenter from Nazareth, Or is there something more here? I love how Jesus responds to these persons who doubt and question his divine origin, his true nature. He doesn't prove it to them. He doesn't provide an argument about where he's from. He doesn't actually even answer their questions. He speaks of the Father. The Father who calls persons to Jesus and thus to himself. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. In other words, Jesus speaks not of his own providence, but of his Father's providence. He begins not with where he is from, but with how we can come to him. This is important, because before we can come to see who Jesus is, where he is from, and what he is here for, we need to have our sight and our minds transformed. You won't be able to know who I am, Jesus says, unless the Father is drawing you to me by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't, in other words, reason your way to Jesus. You can't just read the identity of Jesus directly off what's presented to you. Jesus is not some piece of data, some normal artifact in our world. And so you can't know him in the way you know ordinary things. If you try, all you'll see is a man from Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You need to be drawn drawn to Christ. You need to be called by the Father. You need everything about your sight and mind changed. Knowing Jesus is not a matter of human accomplishment, of intellectual persuasion. It's a matter of revelation. And that demands, to use the language of our philosopher friends, a crisis of epistemology. You need, Jesus is saying, to have everything about your knowing changed. Christ is a stumbling block, a crisis to our senses, to our reason, and to our ordinary knowledge. And so he must reshape and refashion our hearts and minds so that we can even receive him. But once this happens, once the Father calls you in the power of the Spirit to the feet of Jesus, then you'll see. See what? Well, see bread, Jesus says. See bread. If you want to know something about what Christian faith is, what the paradoxes of Christian belief are, this is not a bad place to start. Christian faith is this. It's standing before man, pointing to his body, pointing to his flesh, and telling you it's bread and believing it. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. But he won't just leave it there. The people have been given bread before. Your fathers, Jesus says, ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. Our reading from Deuteronomy tells us about this divine gift of manna to Israel in the wilderness. And it truly was a gift. It was a grace from God to preserve Israel in the journey to the land of promise. But it was still only bread. And those who ate it still died. Friends, if only it was manna that we were consuming If only it were those relative goods that God provides for our nourishment that we should consume, but I think you know just as well as I that we've become wholly unsatisfied with bread. Even with manna, even with miraculous bread, it's not enough. We've discovered the world has much more interesting and complex things to offer us than simple bread. We are elite foodie types with sophisticated palates, right, a penchant for the exotic dish and the newest trendy cuisine. Either that or we're just binging on the foods that satisfy us, satisfy our temporary and fleeting cravings, but leave us with regret and shame and emptiness. We seem to want to consume anything and everything but bread. And yet we can't, no matter how much we eat, no matter how much we consume, we can't seem to satisfy our hunger. If you had, I don't think you would be here this morning, but you are. And we certainly can't avoid the inevitable fact that no food, not even manna, can keep us from our sure and inevitable deaths. But Jesus speaks life. I am the living bread, the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Living bread. What a mystery, but what a grace. Jesus is bread which gives life because he is bread which lives. And he lives here in this church. This bread lives on this altar. In this holy meal, Jesus calls out to you, if anyone eats this bread, they will live forever. He invites you to eat with him, to eat of him, to receive his body, his flesh, which is the life of the world. And that is why you are here. I know it is. I see it in your faces right now, and I hear your stomachs rumbling. You are just as hungry as I am, and you are sick and tired of being offered food which does not satisfy. We've tried for too long to get by on food that doesn't even feed us. We've tried the steady diets of career and affirmation, and status, and money, and education, and material pleasures, and we're still hungry. We need food. We need bread. So why are you here? Is it because you're hungry? And hear the words of our Lord Jesus to you this morning. You need one thing. You need living bread. You need the bread of life. You need Jesus. And here's the good news you're in the right place. Because this morning you found yourself at a supper. And the host is also the meal, it's the Lord. So come, come to the feast, come to the altar this morning and receive the living bread. Feast on the Lord Jesus, feast on the bread of life now and forever.